Hello, friends, and welcome to another 99th episode. Cool. Um, yeah, so I mean, it just, uh, we, we did those things. I got, uh, there's a, a place in the mall there selling sports cards right now. I got a few back of sports cards. Got crap. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a good day. We had a good time doing it. Um, then I came home, get something that you've been helping me talk myself out of ordering, and I ordered it anyways and can blame you because I really wanted to get it no you actually can't blame me like i literally told you the opposite <laughs> every day you're like oh man hickman's x-men is so good y- well it it is it is good i got house of x powers of x they did a hardcover collection of, of that series yep. so here here's my backstory on why i finally broke down this wasn't just an impulsive buy i wanted this before it existed before it was even announced when hawks box was coming out i was like I'm going to get the collection of that because I know they're going to collect it and it's good and I'm going to get it. And I, and you know, but then as it was coming out, like I read it, I enjoyed it. I was also kind of like, this is good. You know, not that it was like, I wasn't enjoying it, but it wasn't, I wasn't in the place to connect with it. The right way is probably the best way to put it. Like that wasn't my main focus at the time. Cause like we've talked about this, my focus drifts back and forth between different stuff. Yeah. And I'm not just like always like, Oh, comics, you know, a hundred percent of the time. But I really liked this because obviously X-Men is my number one uh, comic thing aside from Ninja Turtles. And Ninja Turtles is less rooted in the comics and more just rooted in the characters. Ninja Turtles is to you like what Star Wars is to me is what it kind of sounds like. Yeah. Or like G.I. Joe. Joe. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's it's a childhood thing. It's, you know, you you want some of the toys. You you know, maybe you read the con. Like I'm really struggling with the debate in my head about whether I should keep all the hardcovers that I have or read them and trade them in. Because I'm not sure. Like I'm not 100 percent. But what I'm going to do, because I have a lot of them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read them all first. And by the time I read 11 freaking hardcovers of like 16 ish comics each, I will know if I want to keep them or not. So. But anyways, with this, we were talking about this. We were talking about X-Men again. Like the other day when we talked about X-Men, you were talking about uh, just reading the current run of X-Men, which is still written by Hickman, right? Yeah. The current, currently, the title X-Men is written by Hickman. Yeah. I downloaded through Hoopla, so I checked it out from the library, essentially, uh, the first volume of that. And I started reading. I was like, you know what? I really want to read House of X, Powers of X again before getting into this like i know i've read it before but i've read a little bit of the x-men too everyone's gonna scream at you for for calling it powers of x it's powers of powers of 10 i do not care (laughs) i'm gonna keep calling it powers of x and not powers of 10 but that is what i like and i'm gonna stick with it but that's like calling x-men 10 men (laughs) 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 all right well that's fine so you're a 10 man fan the next level now and start calling it house of 10 powers of x All right. Well, I'm an X-Men fan. You're a 10-Men fan. <laughs> <laughs> I love my 10-Men. 10-Men. Um, <laughs> the uncanny 10-Men. <laughs> I'll just call it Hawks Box and avoid it all. So, uh, and I obviously understand the powers of 10 thing. Like, I'm a freaking mathematician by trade that I, I quit on. But anyways, yeah, so I was reading it. And I'm like, man, reading this again. And I've I've been – one of the things I've been doing – is skipping the like the infographics and like some of that additional material that does add to the story. It gives you a deeper knowledge of what's going on. But I was like, I just want to read this. It's 12 issues. I want to get on to X-Men and some of the other stuff. And like, I want to read some of that stuff. Not necessarily all of it, but I want to read a bunch of that before I finally read uh, X of Swords. Yes. That you gave me codes to be able to read. Yes. 
I brutalized my poor comics to reveal those codes. It's just like I said, you understand, uh, uh, you know, how much I deserve love. So uh, you're willing to do that to your comics and wake up at 5 a.m. to talk mm, to me. Uh, I don't know. I'm starting to regret everything. <laughs> you probably should. <laughs> I should. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm reading this again digitally, and I'm just like, this is really good. This is I, I'm catching so many things that I missed the first time. And I think part of it is uh, reading them as they come out. You have a little more of like you lose some fragments of things because of the gap, right? It, which probably isn't the hugest deal. Yeah. But also, as I stated it. with me, I'm not always into it. Like, I'm not always in the mood to. So, like, getting monthly comics. Like, right now, the only comic I'm subscribing to is Usagi Ojimbo. I have, like, 10 to read. There's only, like, 15 issues, <laughs> you know? So, I, I, I don't think I've quite – I caught up a little bit, but – but that's just how I am. If I'm not in the mood to, I'm if I if I force myself to read it, I'm not going to absorb it because I don't want to. Like I, my mind is somewhere else. You know, I want to focus on something else. But reading this again and like the you know seeing the traces of Nimrod early on, the Moira McTaggart issue that really established her power. I the first time I read, it, I was like, oh, this is crazy. The second time I read it, it was like, oh man, this is like really intricate. Yeah. Really planned mm-hmm. out, really detailed, really awesome. And you get to the end of the issue where they finally get the info they need to know when Nimrod starts, which is like this whole issue is you don't even exactly know what they're trying to do, but they're trying to find out when Nimrod comes into existence so they can cut it off because they realize they always lose against Nimrod uh, through Moira's trial and error that Nimrod is the, the the mitigating factor. Like that's the big thing that changes everything when they finally do that. Like she had a whole life where she and that life, especially she lived the longest in that life, certainly a life of misery. And I mean, you have to fight for survival, too, when you look at the like the that timeline. All to finally get the information and be killed. That's the cool timeline that has the Rasputin, right? In yeah. It. And all the, the like, all these other mutants and Wolverine is, uh, of course, still alive and all that one, mm-hmm. right? Apocalypse is there at the end and, like, one yeah. of the leading... Fo- like, he's pretty much the leader. And, yeah, like, that that that, t- that was the moment... Like, reading that was just like, <sighs> damn it. <laughs> the first time you talked to me out of buying this book recently... I had looked on Amazon. I knew it was a really good price, actually. So it's a $60 cover price, and it was only $34.49 on Amazon for the hardcover. Mm-hmm. And it was like 32 for the paperback. So I'm like, cool, hardcover for 2 bucks more. Awesome. I don't know if you've seen this, but Amazon quite often with media, books, movies, music, video games, whatever, will have buy two, get one free sales. Sure, yeah. And so this was part of that sale. So then Leap 2 a couple days ago. I'm finally watching. I'd gotten a DVD, well, Blu-ray, documentary of the Dodgers World Series Championship from this year. Like, I got it when it came out a a couple months ago, and I just hadn't had time to really, like, sit down and focus on watching it yet. So I watched it, and that day I had been texting with my brother-in-law, who, um, he's been married to my sister for a couple few years. I hardly know him yet, because I moved away before they got married. The whole circumstances were kind of quick and stuff. He's a good guy, though, and, like, I'm trying to distantly build a relationship with him but he's also the type that's like if you're not there in front of him it's harder to like he's one of those like i live my life just around me you know not so much distantly so you text them they don't really text you back sometimes they do sometimes they don't you know uh that kind of thing so it's just like 
it's just who they are. It just can make it harder to like build a relationship with somebody that you don't really know yet, you know? Mm-hmm. So he had to have sol- sh- uh, shoulder surgery and he was going to be out of work for uh, an extended period of time because of it. So I told him, I was like, I want to get to know you during this time. You got no excuse now. He has excuses. Like my, my sister had five kids before they got married. He took on a load of being a father of five kids. So like, you know, he's taken on a lot of responsibility aside from whatever else there is in life. Uh, but I was like, this is your opportunity. He's a cop too. So it's like when he's working, that's the kind of job that doesn't allow you a lot of uh, time to think about what else is going on. You know, you're certainly not listening to podcasts while doing your, your job. Sure. Yeah. But so he had texted me earlier that day and we were talking about sports and he grew up a 49ers fan like me. He grew up a Dodgers fan and a Lakers fan. So I mean, he grew up, he went to school with my sister. That's how they, they met. And then years later, when my sister divorced my ex-brother-in-law, he was helpful in that whole circumstance. And it was um, a bad situation, everything. And, and they fell in love. They got married. You know, awesome. But so he has all these kind of like sports roots that I have. So like that's kind of a starting point. So we we're talking about sports. And I had just like I while I was watching this Dodgers documentary, I get an alert that the Dodgers re-signed Justin Turner. So I text him that. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy this for him. So I go on Amazon and I look. And guess what? It's part of the buy two, get one free sale. <laughs> so I bought the book and I bought two copies of the DVD and I sent one to my dad and one to my brother-in-law. So that's how I talked myself into it finally. Got, got whittled down by just offers building up. Okay. That's my story of uh, why you, you lost the battle of m- making me not spend money. Oh, well, you know, it's 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 your own battle to win or lose, so... Yeah, luckily I just sold a comic for 150 bucks, so I guess that helps balance it out. Yeah, what'd you sell? A rare Ninja Turtle comic. Oh, you sold that one. Yeah. I finally was like, you know, I don't care about owning it that much. Somebody else really does. I'd rather spend this money on something else and have fun with it. So that's what I did. Cool. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's my story. All right. Well, so I think Hoxpox is cool because it, is probably even better on a reread. I haven't reread it yet, but I feel like it is when it was coming out, I didn't really understand what was going on completely and how all the different pieces fit together that they were trying to tell until really like the end, you know, it's, it's not until the end that it starts to make sense of like, Oh, here's what's going on in these future timelines. And here's why it matters. And here's how it ties into the current timeline and, and all of this stuff. And I feel like rereading it would be a lot more rewarding because the things I'd be able to place them in, in their context while they're happening and understand the importance of the thing as it's happening rather than not really understanding like, Oh yeah, that thing I read like two months ago. Now I understand why it mattered. Yeah, exactly. I'm halfway through it right now. So I've got about six issues to go. And I've said this many times, I'm not often a rereader. It's hard for me to get myself to reread something. And I, am getting so much out of rereading this. And usually when you know what happens at the end, it kind of ruins everything leading up to it. Not ruins it, but like it, it takes the, the excitement is the reveal of what's going on uh-huh. with, with Hickman. And this is true for other Hickman work too. Um, like East to West. I think we've talked about East to West before. And that is Hickman, right? Like I'm not mixing. I always, you're not mixing that up. You're not okay. mixing it I mix up. up Hickman yeah. and remember some. East to West was an example of that where I read, a couple, I, I read a bunch of issues of East to West because I started getting that issue by issue. I was like, oh, that's really good. And I stopped because I was like, I don't, you know what? I, I would rather get this in trade. I wait, after a while, 
I got a bunch of trades and I reread the beginning and read further on and it just like it was better. And then I was like, okay, I stopped again. And then years later, okay, this series is almost done now and I can read it digitally. I'm going to read it all again. It was better. And for me to reread something a third time and be like, this is just getting better every time. Hickman's good at that. Like the, the details he puts in, it's not these aha reveal moments that are only good when you read them. It's more like you don't understand the meaning of things that are happening until later. And so it's not so much about the surprise of it. It's about the meaning of it. I feel like mm-hmm. with a lot of his stuff. So it's, it's not like a mystery where now, you know, who done it. It's more like the way he, he tells things, there's always these meaningful things happening. You just don't understand how meaningful they are at the, t- when you first read them, you d- you understand how meaningful they are later on down the road. Like, yeah, I remember in Hawk's box, it starts with Charles Xavier resurrecting the X-Men. And he says, you know, to me, my X-Men and you read it, you're like, what? I, I, I have no idea what this is. And it has, absolutely no meaning to me at this point Mm -hmm. but then by the end of this series you find out oh these are all the x-men that like went off to the sun to go kill this sentinel factory that's floating out in space and they all died out there on that mission and they are being resurrected in this moment yeah like that's the type of thing where it's not so much the the surprise yeah is cool but it it's more of like the meaning of it in the context of the whole story. And I think that's why it's, it's a good reread. I've read it twice and I didn't take that that way yet, even because he, like a lot of it is, is after the series that came before it, they killed a lot of people in that series that came before it. So a lot of it is bringing back mutants that were killed. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. I just kind of took it as that, but now, like now that you say it that way, it's like, yeah, like those mutants were very specific mutants. Yeah. It's yeah. Cause they revisit that scene later. Yeah. Yeah, especially on the, like on the first read, I took that as um, just the start of them coming back. And then like on the second read, it had been a long enough time I didn't remember those details, and I just kind of took it the same way. Hmm. And yeah, that's I mean, that's Hickman's awesome with that. Like all these details, it's it's like an aha moment in reverse. But like you keep on finding more details and finding more moments, and it just makes everything richer and richer. Like, have you ever read Lock and Key? No, I haven't. Very good. I definitely suggest reading it. But I've tried to reread it, and I just don't really have interest in rereading it because so much of what's great about it is going holy crap at certain moments when, like, pieces come together like that. But you can't, like... It's not like Hickman where you can then, like, unbuild it and find these pieces, you know, like, go backwards Mm -hmm. and find these pieces. Like, it's very much a forward-moving thing. It's just the, the reveal and the surprise is what is cool about it type of thing it's 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 the biggest thing like uh you know i've also gotten better reading stuff so like i'll definitely try lock and key again at some point but like last time i tried i was like no no i don't want to lock and key finally sucked me in uh because of a free comiXology comic you know they'll do that where they'll give free comics and uh it was one issue that was inspired by calvin and Hobbes, and it was just so so beautiful and so touching that i just was all in on the series and i went i just started buying all of it cool very good one that I, I think I have it from a humble bundle and I have the first like big hardcover that probably collects the first two or three trades worth of it. And mm-hmm. I just haven't cracked it open. It That's a funny one because um, my buddy Christian, who is a comic book dealer, we, we would have this, this joke at conventions. People would ask about lock and key and specifically about like lock and key number one. And the first printing of Lock and Key number one is 
tough to find. It's it was a uh, not printed that heavily, and and it was it's it's so difficult to find that he actually he had never owned a copy of it. So we would joke that well. Uh, it went straight to second print. Like all we've ever seen is a second print. So as far as we know, that there actually never was a first printing. It just it started with a second printing, and so that that's the only thing that's available. <laughs> it's been on my read list for a while. Uh, I just you know it's another thing that I haven't gotten to. Yeah. Yeah, I want to read more stuff. I'm so like the end of December and all of January was just crap for me as far as work yep. goes i yeah. and i think for you too right? <laughs> like <laughs> we're kind of getting past a, a really crappy time for both of us and i was like waking up at five or five thirty every day starting work by six work until eight o'clock at night every night and then have to be on the phone with people in india from like eight o'clock to nine o'clock every night it was really really long, miserable hours with uh, a couple projects overlapping with really tight deadlines. And yeah, it was not fun at all. And things are starting to mellow out and I finally have free time again. So I'm starting to think like, whoa, like I can actually think about enjoying stuff again. Yeah. And it's been weird because it's it's hard to wind down from that a bit. Like today is a, a day off. It's a, a holiday. It's President's Day. That's a little timestamp of when we're recording and this whole weekend I felt like kind of nervous and anxious. Like it's, it's hard to relax. I, I tried to play video games and I couldn't like, I couldn't focus on video games. I'll try to read. And I, it's like, I'm in this thing where every third paragraph I realize, Oh, I didn't even realize what I just read because my yeah. mind started wandering to something else. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been having to really work on how to mellow out and uh, start to take it easy and think about actually doing stuff like doing stuff I enjoy again. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult. Like it's, it's easy to overlook how difficult that could be. And I think like the, the right way to step into it is to take away that pressure of, I have to do stuff. Otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm not enjoying my time. You you know, you want to get back to those things, but like in the moment, I have to read a book. I have to read a comic. I have to play a video game. I have to watch a movie. I have to watch this TV show. Like any of those things, it's not what you want. You know, so like I, this is my third day of, of vacation. My last vacation ended up being a mess. Uh, it was supposed to be a vacation. It ended up being a quarantine because of COVID exposure. So the first few days was anxiety about, did I, you know, am I sick? Did I, am I exposing my family? It wasn't until I got my test back negative that I, that I felt better from that. Then two days later, later was uh, January sixth, which I won't say more than that about you know why that was stressful. Yeah. So I mean, like I had a few days of feeling good in that time, basically, and most of it was trying to do something just to like keep doing something. So like one thing that was beneficial is like during that first weekend when I was very anxious, I sorted out a bunch of Lego sets because what we're doing right now, my son has way too many damn Legos, and we're sorting out the sets that we know he doesn't give a damn about. And trading them in a bull moose, selling them, whatever. So like I said, I'm selling a few sets to a friend that I, I know on Twitter. He has some Ninjago sets. He doesn't care about Ninjago. If you gave him a Ninjago set, he'd be like, cool, and put it together and have some fun. But that's, kids will play with any toy, you know? Um, but like th that's not like what really matters to him. So it just becomes clutter in the bin. Those first few days, I was able to focus. And that's why I was able to, like, doing that helped me 
finish watching Mandalorian because I I didn't want to just sit there and sort Lego. So I grabbed my tablet and I watched Mandalorian. I finished watching it. I finished watching The Last Dance. Uh, I started watching Cobra Kai. So like that's one thing. Like when it's tough like that, when you've you've had all this buildup and you don't know how to transition out. Don't try to make yourself do the things that you're like, I want to do this because enjoying this thing is what I want to do. Because it's not enjoying it if you're forcing yourself. So, like, I, you know, I want to read all of Lock and Key, right? Like, that's a reasonable goal on a three-day, you know, holiday weekend, normally. But you can't go into it and be like, I'm going to do this when you, like, you have not reset from all the stress that you've had. So, you know, if you back off of that and be like, I'm going to do this tedious, meticulous thing that, like, stops your brain from from continuing to try to churn all that it's been churning. And you do that while you listen to music or while you watch, you know, a TV show that you only kind of care about. Mandalorian, I was very much in the I only kind of care about this place when I picked it back up, you know? Oh, shame on you, Paul. Well, I ended up loving it, didn't I? Well, good. All right. Well, I'm glad you came around to the, the light side. Yeah, so I mean, here you are on your last day of this weekend, but still, I mean, nonetheless, like, do a, I don't know, like, do a latch hook rug kit, do a, do perler beads, you know, like, there's all these kind of silly things that, that we can do that, like, doing those monotonous things, like, just, it kind of frees your mind up because it stops you from that focus. Yeah, you know what, what has uh, been an easy thing and what I have done a lot lately is just kind of mess around with my action figures because I've there gotten go. a lot of uh, new figures lately, so... I, right now, I'm holding my new Zartan Jejo figure, which is TMI. Uh, a, <laughs> <hey>. <laughs> yeah, j- just because you're jealous of his rock hard abs, <laughs> don't be jealous of my Zartan. You know what's really funny? Like his abs made me think of when I was a kid. Action figures that had like those like midriff shirt and crazy abs mm-hmm. always kind of creep me out. Casey Jones Shredder, like they both had that. Like here's these exposed rock hard abs. I'm like, hey. That that seems like a li- like wear a regular length shirt, dude. You know, <laughs> hey, he's got to do his laundry on something. <laughs> Might as well be his rock hard abs. When I was really little, it probably didn't hit me, but uh, like I I've been battling weight since I was quite young, so I was probably probably more of a self conscious thing. But it's kind of funny how those things how those things hit you because the first thing I thought when I looked at it was like wear a proper shirt dude you know like yeah I know right <laughs> wear a shirt or no shirt no in between <laughs> yeah uh-huh. uh huh it's kind of like men with belly button rings make me feel very uncomfortable <laughs> okay now now who's got the TMI going on right I'm just playing with my Zartan action figure and all, all of a sudden you're like dudes with exposed belly button rings so <laughs> I just I you know I, I don't think it should be <laughs> anyway abs aside this figure is rad <laughs> it's really it looks cool. pretty, so is that is that one of the newer lines of gi joe's yeah this is the new cla- it's that classified six inch mm-hmm. and this is from the most recent wave of figures and it looks very on point to the old classic zartan figure like very yeah. very similar to the the original zartan from from back in the day he even has like uh the extra face like the his disguise face that would stick in his backpack and it fits in his backpack and you can take it out put it on and it looks fantastic it fits right on there and he can blend in like a boss and it's it's a very cool looking fit i'm looking at the picture again while we're talking about it i so i've had um you know we we talked about a kind of transition from action figures for the things I like to pops, like for X-Men, for turtles, whatever. Like I, I have a few turtle figures that are kind of like more standout ish, but 
So I, I moved the uh, the Cobra Commander and the um, the Snake Eyes that I have in front of my TV. And, like, it's just so nice having them there to, like, look at it in a different place. Like, I moved them into different poses and stuff like that rather than just, like, here's a crap load of action figures up on my bookshelf that I just, like, they're starting to just pile up, you know? Yeah, I like to have two or three figures on my desk that I can just kind of mess around with. I can repose them and stuff. It's it's also just a fun way to keep engaged with them because, I, I, you know, it, this is something I talk about a lot is how do I stay engaged with these hobbies, right? Like, how do I stay engaged with collecting comics and acquiring a, a ton of action figures? If all they do is stay in, in boxes or cartons in my garage, then they're not really doing a lot of good to me or to anyone. They're just, you know, stuck away. And same thing with the comics. It's like if if all I do is I buy a comic and I stick it away in a long box and never look at it again, it's it's almost like not having it in a way. And uh, so I like to think about ways to interact with these things and make me feel like, I don't know, just get, getting a bit more out of owning them, you know? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. If, if you just buy stuff and put it away, you want to buy more stuff because, you, like, it ends up that your hobby is buying stuff. Yeah, I know, stuff, right? You know? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Like, I, I feel like I sometimes talk about, well, I don't collect comics. I just acquire them. <laughs> and same with like action figures. No, I don't collect action figures. I just, I just acquire them. Like, and I, I feel like a lot of hobbies run that risk of it being not as much about the collecting of the thing, but just acquiring the thing. Yeah. And you know, that's really the hobby is the acquisition. Exactly. And it's, it is fun to do, but like, it's much better if that acquisition is, is, supplementing the enjoyment of what you like like me finding that big daddy today like i don't there were all kinds of other pops there. i don't care about the value of pops but i was like oh damn big daddy that's that i've been wanting that you know and it made me really happy and it's a lot more than just i'm gonna keep piling me and honestly if i got it back when i could have got it off the shelf in target for like 20 bucks it may never have meant as much to me you know so yeah, there, there's lots of different factors that go in. I'm learning so much from watching my son. Like, my son, well, you know, he's our only kid. So, I mean, of course, we're really prone to doing things like buying him too many things, you know. And, um, you know, we had a long time in his earlier years where life was really stressful. And, like, he was going through developmental delays. And, um, like, going through those things, like, not only is, is there added stress, but you have this guilt as a parent. Like, what did I do wrong? You know, mm. what, what can I do more? It's like there's all these things that add up. And what's the easiest way to feel better about stuff? Buy stuff. So we just buy stuff for him all the time, you know. And, and it just was an easy way to kind of alleviate how we felt. It was that little burst of joy, you know. But one of the things we've learned with him is that having too much of something just detracts from his enjoyment. And I think it's true in all of us, but most of us are too stupid to see it. Yeah. We, so I, I tweeted this out the other day. He, I have a short box for him for comics. And, like, I'll grab him stuff here and there if I see stuff or I'll let him pick some stuff out. And I actually have – he has too many comics now for his short box. And so I tweeted out, like, time time to purge. And, you know, so, of course, everybody that, like, we interact with on Twitter is like, no, 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 get another box, long box time. It's like, no. Like, I understand what they're all saying. And, like, you know, there's no ill intent in them saying it. So, you know, don't take it that way. But, no, like, for him, I know, for one, he has a lot of comics in there that he doesn't give two shits about. So getting rid of them, like, he's not even going to care. 
But two, having too many of them just means he's not going to enjoy them. He's not going to take them out and look at them. Having a, a smaller amount, he's actually much, much more likely to enjoy them. And that's true for all of us. Like, you know, we know people who have, you know, comic collections with like 70,000 comics. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm friends with a guy who's the has the Guinness Book of World Records for largest <laughs> private comic book collection. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, I'm certainly not saying that there's just by default anything wrong with that. But as far as just enjoying comics, if you went up to that person that has 70,000 and threw 10 comics in front of them and it was like, hey, read a comic. What are they going to do? They're going to pick up one of those 10 comics to read. They're not going to go in their 70,000 and find one to read. It's it's much easier to enjoy things when you have like, hey, here's a few things. Let me just do what I feel like right now with these few things, you know? You're talking about paralysis of analysis. Yeah. It's like how it's easier to pick from two jars of jam in the grocery store than 20 jars of jam. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I mentioned that when we went to the mall today, we went to the, the little card kiosk. Uh, and I, I'm looking at what I could get. Like, I had something in mind, like, this is what I'm going to get. They didn't have any of that specifically. So I'm looking, I'm like, okay, I don't want to spend too much. kind of want a little variety. I just didn't know what to get. And honestly, like, I made the wrong choice. I got three smaller packs of things, and I got just complete crap on what I got. Like, I mean, probably, maybe not complete crap. That's an over-exaggeration. But I would have been better off if I got one box that was more expensive because I might have got something better in that box than I was likely to get food the way I went about it. You get overwhelmed by stuff, and it's easy to just, like, I need everything or I need nothing or you end up making uh, maybe not the best choice. That's what, It's always good to take a step back. And that's why you're saying, like, interacting with your action figures. If you're interacting with them, then when you see one... And you're like, oh, I want that. But then you stop and think like, well, do I really want it? I really love this other one. And I know that because like I'm interacting with it. I just have joy from looking at it from, you know, whatever. And it gives you that that ability to compare where you don't have that if they're just shoved away and shoved away and shoved away. So, yeah, you know, being engaged with anything makes it a lot easier to to know what's worth it and what's not. And I've like with, you know, we're both talking about like how stressful the last like basically two months have been for us. And like I have recently fallen into the trap of just being like, buy stuff. And uh, uh, I know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, OK, pull back on that now. Like I'm it's time to cut that off. But still, the stuff that I bought, like I, I bought this hardcover of House of Ten Powers of X. Um I'm I, I'm halfway through reading it digitally because you're already, such so a big Ten Men fan. Exactly, I love the yes. Ten Men. <laughs> so I, I got that. I bought a game that's going to come in via Amazon in a couple of days. When that comes in, I'm going to play that game. Like I have these other games I've already bought, but you know what? I'm just going to play this one that I was really interested in because of a friend talking about it. I looked into it and I got it. So like I'm not going to worry about well, I have all these other games. I'm just going to play the one I got. You know, trying to you know read what's in front of me, do what's in front of me you know, watching stuff. I, right now I have a subscription. It's like a month to month thing, but I have a subscription to NBA league pass. So I'm either going to watch basketball now or I'm wasting that money. Either way, I'm going to end the subscription when the month is up because unless I'm like, I get to the end of the month, I'm like, man, I'm watching every game and I'm loving it. I want another month. Like, unless I'm doing that, then there's no point in, you know, in, in paying for more of it. And we, we so often, I mean, We've talked about streaming services before. Like, how many people just have every streaming service? Because what if I want it? Well, if you want to just sign up for it again, you know? It's kind of like that with, like, playing with your action figures. Reading your comics that you get instead of just putting them in a box and all that stuff. One thing that I have found is 
So everyone knows I like my G.I. Joe figures. And when there's an army builder figure, like for Cobra, like there's uh-huh. a Cobra Trooper or a Cobra Viper, m- my first thought is, I want as many of those as I can get, <laughs> right? Because like, it's like foot soldiers, man. Well, well, yeah. It's like, what's better than having a Viper is having two Vipers. What's better than having two Vipers, having four Vipers. And what's better than having four Vipers, having eight Vipers, you, you know? <laughs> but when I actually keep the Viper out here on my desk and I can look at it and play with it, it like scratches that Vipers are awesome itch that I get. Mm. And it has helped me actually not like go buy a ton of vipers on ebay so yeah so it's good you know keep keep the one viper on my desk and um it it saves me from buying way too many other vipers and that's always a big problem is trying to figure out how to not buy too many damn vipers well you you (laughs) you say that kind of like it's a joke (laughs) but but it's it's not right so i i I texted you the other day a picture of a dazzler x-men legends figure right yeah. Mm-hmm. You know why I text you? I, I, my, I may or may not have told you this. I've told my cousin this. The reason I text you pictures of figures is I want to look at them, say this is cool, share it with somebody, and not buy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's a good way to do that. Like, I'll text my cousin uh, if I see some cool wrestling thing somewhere. I'll take a picture and text it to him. And, like, you know, a lot of times he's like, cool, I don't want it. Cool, I don't want it. I'm like, dude, I'm just showing you so I don't buy it. Like, I want to yeah. show somebody uh-huh. else's cool thing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a good way to kind of be like, this is cool, but we don't need to own all the cool things. Back to this like idea of the how many vipers is enough though. It's it is something I think about a lot. Like for characters that are a number, like in an army, there are army builder figures where it's like in in real Cobra, there's hundreds of vipers, right? So how many viper figures is enough? to feel like I'm scratching that itch that this isn't a unique character, but is like one of a whole squad of troopers. And I kind of vary between two and four is, is kind of the number I go back and forth on a lot of the times where like sometimes just two is enough because if you have two side by side, it is, it clearly indicates, okay, there's more than one of this type of trooper Mm -hmm. that exists in this world. Having four is like, oh, man, all right, here's an, uh, an entire squad, right? Because with four, you've got a good fire team. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I go back and forth on. With these six-inch Joes, I'm kind of narrowing in on two of each of the trooper types just because, well, they're they're more expensive figures. They're like, you know, $20 figures instead of $12 figures or $13 figures like the original four-inch Joes were. So. Yeah. It's partly just to help save money, but also I'm finding like two is enough to kind of give me that sense of these are members of a team rather than an individual character. Yeah, I mean, it's like what kind of animal would only buy Bebop or Rocksteady? It's like it's Bebop and Rocksteady, you know? Well, yeah, exactly. It's like Viper and Viper. (laughs) Viper 1 and Viper 2. Yeah, exactly the same. The thing that was going through my head when thinking about it, like I just said, I I got my son these old Ninja Turtle figures. I got him in his room playing with him right now. And when I say that, like, it sounds like a common sense thing. Like, you buy your kid toys, they play with them. You would be surprised how often it doesn't work that way. You buy your kid toys, they open them up, and they go play something else. Or they want video games or videos. And, like, with him right now, we're really like, hey, you got these toys play with them or we will not get you more of these toys in the future. It, kids are easy like that too. Like they, they see a toy and they just want it. You know, it's easy to just want something. So I kind of draw on that line between like, 
you either use it or you will not get more. But I, you know, I was thinking about that when you're talking about the right number of vipers. How many can you play with? Like, if if you're a kid playing with toys, because you know, like you just said, you could have an army of a hundred vipers in a GI Joe story, and that would be like not ridiculous, right? Like that would be plausible. Sure. But you're not mm-hmm. going to buy a hundred vipers. That would cost you two thousand dollars. Yeah, and and honestly, like the effect of having a hundred vipers versus having fifty vipers is. Like, it's almost no different at that point, right? I really think we need to test this now. I need you to buy 100 Vipers, oh, 50 I in a man. room. <laughs> nah, but the, but the problem with the Vipers is that they're they're Target exclusives, so they're $100 each. Oh, good Lord. To, yeah, to buy like on eBay. So Were you, were you able to get them at, uh, at, at cover price, so to speak? I traded for them because oh, I yeah, traded previous uh, those, those Baroness figures. The yeah. Baroness that you got for me, I found the Baroness on my own. I was able to trade a Baroness for a couple of Vipers. Well, that works. Uh, like the Baroness motorcycle box set? Yeah, exactly. So I was able to to just trade previous exclusives for the new ones and basically nice. break even doing so. So just to wrap up my thought on that, how many figures can, like if you're playing action figures and playing something out in your mind, like how many is the right number? I think like you just said two to four is pretty much good. Like if... You know, if uh, Sammy's playing with the Ninja Turtles fighting against the Foot Clan, how many foot soldiers is plausible in a fight, like, to use, you know? Sure. Well, it seems like if you have a Shredder and three foot soldiers versus four Ninja Turtles, that's perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. even if it's, like, one one good guy against a handful of bad guys, like, two to four is a good number for that, you know? Like, yeah. more than mm-hmm. that, and it's just, like, you're not going to engage with them all. Like, they're in your brain as a kid playing... If you have 10 foot soldiers or vipers, they're not going to like it's just going to be fodder around the side at a certain point. You know, like that's going to be too many. Whereas if you have three or four, like you can remember, oh, well, this guy just got kicked in the face by Leonardo. So he's kind of over here hurting a little bit, you know. (laughs) So it's kind of funny. Like, you know, we think about all this as like adults wanting these things. But like if you think about like, well, as a kid, how would it feel? And that's really the answer to things, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember when I was a kid, I had two stormtroopers, and I was so excited that I had two stormtroopers <laughs> be- because, right? Because there's dozens of stormtroopers on the screen when I watch Star Wars, mm-hmm. so there's there's a ton of them. I had two of the stormtroopers, and I had two of the snow stormtroopers from Empire Strikes Back. And that's all you need because you, you need one stormtrooper to aim and another stormtrooper to be like, all right, calm down. <laughs> think about where you're trying to shoot it's okay just breathe in you know pull the trigger right as you breathe out i, I know that that's a joke this whole stormtroopers can't aim thing what's interesting about it if you kind of think about it so think about the opening scene of star wars the stormtroopers wreck those rebels on that ship they're just mm. killing them left and right and then later on when the stormtroopers take out the jawas and obi-wan's like these blast marks to uh, only Imperial stormtroopers are this precise. Yet when the stormtroopers are going up against our heroes, they never hit a thing. Uh, an interesting in-world explanation of this is that they're actually under orders not to kill anyone. They're under orders not to kill Princess Leia and Han Solo and Luke Skywalker so that they can escape onto the Millennium Falcon and escape back to Yavin where they can track them there. You know, 
or later on Bespin, they're under orders not to kill any of them because they want them alive. Darth Vader wants them all alive. He wants to capture them alive. So it's kind of interesting to think that maybe that's the reason why stormtroopers have terrible aim is kind of a joke. I wouldn't say, like, I've never thought about that because I wouldn't say I've thought that hard about Star Wars, period. But oh, Okay, um... I think about this type of stuff like all the time. This, this yeah. is like common Star Wars thought but for me. <laughs> one of the things I was thinking, like your explanation diverged from what I was just thinking, but you make somebody else look stronger by if you say like, okay, look, stormtroopers you know slaughter these jawas without trying right but then they go against the heroes and one hero can kick 20 stormtroopers butts it really elevates the strength of the hero right sure yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean like that's kind of what i was thinking i mean you you have that in in a lot of different of that type of storytelling and like i was thinking about wrestling you know you have you want to make a guy look really tough you have put him up against three people at the same time type of thing and you know if you if you put like a big strong guy against like three jobbers that don't mean anything it's still just three jobbers that don't mean anything but then you put him up against a guy who is good who who has won you've seen be good and that guy brings him to the brink but at the end, the end of it he crushes him you know mm-hmm. now that guy looks really tough now then you take that guy and put him against the guy that you want to be the champion and now he looks like he's too strong for the champion. So then, like, you have a lot more dynamic in the storytelling. So, it, like, there's so much to how you do that, you know, that, like, you know, I'm thinking, like, recently in WWE, uh, Kevin Owens has a, a pretty good, uh, you know, legitimacy behind him. And he just can't beat Roman Reigns, who's the big heel champion right now. Because they've built up Kevin Owens, and he's not just some guy that they just completely keep on smashing it means something that he can't beat roman reigns that's elevating roman reigns to make him look unbeatable so then down the road he goes against another guy and like now you can take roman reigns and put him against a guy that if you're just looking at them he wouldn't reasonably be able to beat him but like have you built him up story-wise enough to be like um well no you can't beat him you know like look at this guy it's like yokozuna back in the 90s yokohuza yeah exactly yeah, I know. House of I'm, Ten, I'm Powers of, the... of X, baby. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Any final thoughts on uh, Vipers? Oh, man, I could talk for days about <laughs> Vipers. I, I was just trying to, to just barely touch on it. <laughs> it. It's funny because I actually, in the foreign size, I have a ton of Vipers. I've got, I don't even want to admit how many I have. It's less than 20, but. Yeah, I mean, they fit neatly in a shoebox. It's not too many. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're a lot smaller. A, a, a four inch size action figure is a lot cheaper and a lot less space than a six inch action figure. So, yeah, I figure you know for every one six inch viper, if I have like eight four inch vipers, then that's great. <laughs> I, I bring up vipers because they are my favorite trooper in the Cobra lineup. And because I've got one right here on my desk. They're fun like that. I mean, like, I, you know, I'm thinking about the same thing. Like, I don't have any foot soldier figures or anything. But it's like, if I came across a foot soldier pop, I would definitely have to think about how many I needed to buy. Like, is is one the right number? I don't know. Like, one is just kind of like, well, why even, you know? Two. Yeah, I mean, okay. why, what are you even doing with your life if you only have one <laughs> foot soldier? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So I saw a tweet, uh, I think it was last night, uh, or maybe this morning. Uh, it got me thinking about stuff. Um, I hate when generational considerations come into any kind of conversation. I guess I'm a millennial, technically. 
but millennials are also drastically younger than me. And we have vastly different experiences. And somebody like the same age as you can have a drastically different experience. The tweet I saw was interesting because it was something to the effect of, you know, if you're a millennial, which is now the old group in this scenario, and you're worried about what whatever the hell they call the, the current generation, uh, if you're worried about them making fun of you on TikTok because they don't like your haircut, uh, you're doing it wrong. Like, uh, <laughs> it's not where you want to live. Like, you shouldn't be trying to impress kids on TikTok. It was interesting to me because finally it's the point where millennials are not like is shifting off the point where they're the default for the young generation. Yeah, they're no longer like, oh, stupid kids. Yeah, and they I mean, haven't yeah. been the youngest generation for some time now. But they've been the default, just like boomers are like that's our default for the old you know, the old people now, right? Mm-hmm. I don't care whether it's boomers or millennials or Gen X or Gen Y or Gen Z or whatever crap they come up with in between. Anytime that comes up in the conversation of like legitimacy of what you're saying, it just ruins it. Like it, you're not saying anything. You're, you're making, you know, it's just like saying an astrological sign defines who you are. And every cancer is an asshole. I say that because I'm a cancer. So, <laughs> so it's true. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like none of that stuff is ever is always true, and it drives me nuts because, like I said, I'm I'm technically a millennial, I guess, with when I was born. I've never I've never felt any kind of connection to this generational thing at all, because I'm me. Like I'm I'm me. I have my own thoughts. I have had my own experiences. The things I do are based on those things, and not based on my age. Were you born um, before or after 1983? I was born in 83. Okay. All right. So I think you're like the tail end of. What I've seen described, and which I think actually really describes me and my generation really well, is this idea that there's zenials, which is like it's this short transition between Generation X and Millennial. Mm -hmm. And it's people born, you know, interestingly enough, in the years when Star Wars was coming out, (laughs) between 1977 to 1983. But if you're born in those years, you were born in an analog world but grew into a digital world. Mm-hmm. We didn't grow up having cell phones. We didn't grow up having email addresses. We didn't grow up with that stuff existing. Like we had, we would go to computer lab to play Oregon trail, but that was it. But y- you know, you can probably remember you can play it on your phone. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you can probably remember when you, your family got their first computer. You, you, they just weren't a thing that everyone of course has for our generation. You probably remember when everyone started to get cell phones and it wasn't just a ubiquitous thing that everybody had their whole life. Yeah. And so I think we are this kind of weird transitional generation between that like Gen X and millennial thing where we kind of have uh, our, our toe in both of those worlds. Yeah. Yeah. I think it explains it a lot. And, you know, what you just said is exactly why this generational thing is just completely flawed. Because a generation is 30 years. Like, that's what a generation is. Like, that's what it's considered, right? Yeah, I don't I don't quite know, though, right? 30 years is a drastic change, you know? Like, if you say a once-in-a-generation talent, that's like a generation is 30 years. Because in 30 years, you go from being a kid to an adult with kids. That's like, that's the time frame of it. Like, approximately. I, I think... And everything is like, you know, of course, there's different definitions. Like, even millennial, like... I've heard 83, I've heard 80, I've heard 77. Like, I've heard this, like, all the, this different, uh, you know, variety of, of when it actually starts. Because it's arbitrary. Generations turn over, like, the experiences that we have overlap and turn over quickly. So, 
the experience I had compared to somebody 10 years after me, we're going to have a lot of shared experiences and a lot of different experiences. And that's the problem of defining anything by generation. It doesn't, it doesn't define sure. anything. Enough. Yeah. It, 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 it kind of defines trends in the world. Yeah. You're going to have certain similar experiences, but what makes you who you are is going to be vastly different. So backtracking to another tweet that made me angry recently Somebody saying, ha ha, here's my laugh for the day. I saw this millennial in the post office that didn't know how to send a letter. They had a document. They didn't have an envelope. They didn't know how to address it. And like right away, I was angry because first of all, I'm 37. And if, if I'm trying to do something that has to be done and you make fun of me for it, like I absolutely have the balls now to say F you, <laughs> you know, because like I've had there's plenty of times I have to do something I have no experience with doing. And you just have to have the guts to go do it, you know? And it's hard sometimes. Yeah, and I, I guess the flip side of that that particular question is, obviously, the, I mean, this person does live in a world where sending letters is very rare. It's it's like writing yeah. a check now, exactly. right? It's, it's like, I haven't written a check in a long time. Yeah, the only reason I have to write a check every month is my mortgage. I can't pay my mortgage online because I don't have a bank account at the bank that I have my mortgage through because that's how they mm. do it. You have to have a, an account there to pay it digitally. Otherwise, like that's the only monthly thing I ever have to write a check for. So like I mean writing a check, balancing a checkbook, like all these things like I remember I'm old enough I remember being taught how to do them in school. But my generation has people that weren't taught it, period. So mm-hmm. if, you know, the, if there's like a 20-something kid in in the post office trying to figure out how to do this and uh, a boomer, to, you know, speak that way, makes fun of them, man, that, that infuriates me. They need your help, you know, not, yeah, not to be made fun of. it's kind of a, a lack of understanding. And, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. Everybody wants to say, like, this is my experience. My experience is right. Every other experience is wrong. If your experience is different than mine, I'm going to make fun of you. I saw another one today, like, uh, making fun of LeBron, like he's not my king because you know in my day, and it shows a couple you know basketball players from like the the eighties or nineties. If you drove to the hoop, you might die on the way there. Uh, the game has changed. You know, if you don't want to talk, you know, like if you if that's all you want to talk about, don't talk about basketball now because basketball is not that anymore. So either appreciate what it is now, or you don't appreciate it. But to say that it's it's wrong because other people appreciate it is dumb. So the whole generational thing just absolutely drives me nuts. I have no patience for it. My wife is actually like, you know, when I was younger and quicker to be judgmental, my wife was one of those. Like, I remember when like hipster was the thing, you know, like you're being judgmental now, though, Uh, (laughs) but like judgmental in your anti-judgmentalness. Yeah, but there's there's like judgment, judgment. There's the right reasons, you know, my judgmentality here is um, it's not okay. Your judgmentalism is justified. It's not okay to treat people poorly is what I'm saying now. Yeah, okay, yeah, I know. I'm I'm just giving you a hard time mostly. You know, going back to when I was younger and like, you know, I was young enough that like the new thing was kind of like, you know, like I'm sure you remember when the hipster became like the thing, like everybody was a hipster. I mean, there's so many great jokes of, of like the hipster thing, like, you know. Why'd the hipster burn his mouth on his cup of coffee? Because he drank it before it was cool, you know? It, it be, there's a lot of things that but, become um, cliche, sh- yeah. Like, my wife would just be like, whatever. They're they're just exploring who they are. They're just trying to be themselves. And, you know, a lot of people do a lot of ridic- ridiculous things while trying to figure that out. So, like, she was always like that. Just like, you know, you don't judge somebody else for them trying to be who they are, even if they're obviously trying to be not who they are because they're trying to figure out how to fit in because we all you know go through that and figure it out so yeah i had a lot of that you know 
reinforced from my wife. Like she, she wouldn't put up with any of that crap. Like even for me, like if if I made a joke about a hipster back at that time, she wouldn't have any patience for it. Like no, I just think we all need to think about that and think about like you know if you see somebody and you're like, oh look at this idiot that doesn't know how to do this, you probably should be thinking about like look at this person and what can I do to help them a little bit. That's been on my mind for like a week since I saw that tweet about the guy that put because what I what I did was I retweeted it, you know, quote tweeted it and said uh, this this looks like an asshole tweet. <laughs> and then a little bit later, I was gonna go block the guy because I was still so mad, and I saw he blocked me. I was like, "Good, you fucking asshole," you know. Well, there you go. All right. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's my thoughts on that. I, I think I've uh, exhausted my buildup of thoughts over the last week. Uh, you, you know what I was thinking along the lines of generationalism is yesterday. We, me and my wife had some cravings for some Doritos, for better or worse. We did. <laughs> and so we went out and we got some Doritos. It's one of my sadly <laughs> uh, off-limit things. I cannot eat that. Uh, well, well, we have proven that we certainly can. We got a bag of the nacho cheese Doritos and the Cool Ranch oh, Doritos. Yeah. Classics. Yes. Well, here's the thing. I realized, I remember a point in my life before Cool Ranch Doritos existed. Ah, you're so old. And that <laughs> is is an interesting question to me. Is like, are you old enough to remember when Cool Ranch Doritos were introduced or were they just always, always exist as part of your life? And I'm guessing that for you, they had just always existed because I think they were introduced when you were probably three because I, I think it was 1986. Yeah, so I was young enough that like, you know, the, the reality of pre-Cool Ranch doesn't exist for me, yeah. Yeah, see, I'm I'm old enough that as a kid, I remember seeing the commercials for the new flavor of Doritos, Cool Ranch. Uh, I just I so it, it led me down this rabbit hole of looking up the history of Doritos <laughs> and <laughs> when they were invented. It turns out they were invented in Disneyland. Nice. Of, yeah, of all places, it's the Mexican restaurant in Disneyland started making basically corn chips, hmm. and so then they were so popular that they spun off and uh, Frito-Lay started making them as Doritos and they were just like corn flavored at the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's basically how corn chips were invented, (laughs) weirdly (laughs) enough. (laughs) And then they had a a taco flavor for a while. Uh, Then they introduced the nacho cheese flavor in the very early 70s and then the Cool Ranch in the 80s. And uh, also, interestingly, apparently there was a lawsuit many, many years ago where somebody, like, scratched their throat on Doritos because they were, like, too crispy and sharp. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, if you swallow a whole chip, it's going to tear up your throat. What a surprise. (laughs) Doritos actually made some changes. Like, now they have rounded corners rather than sharp edges. (laughs) (laughs) And a caution sign saying, chew your chips. Yes, yes, caution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the on the coffee cups, right? Yeah. <laughs> the McDonald's coffee Cautions cups. Can, can contents are hot, yeah. Content yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> but I I went down a, a Dorito rabbit hole that was that was pretty interesting. Those things are super interesting. Like uh my wife and I just watched through some of the toys that made us and some of the ones that like directly were, you know, the things I played with as a kid. Like there's one on wrestling toys and went over all that and like I, I know a little bit more about that, especially because my my cousin is a huge, huge wrestling fan, so it's like he knows everything. But to see like, oh man, like that's how this came about and stuff like that, and like see the the birth of certain things, like it's it's always kind of surprising, you know. You even if it came out like in your consciousness, like you're old enough to know, like oh, this is something new. 
those first details like often get missed where you don't really understand, uh, you know, what it was like when it first came out. My Little Ponies, like that was still super interesting because it was like, uh, this is a stupid idea, but we're going to give it a shot. And here's this great idea. And the great idea like did nothing. And My Little Ponies took off, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah, that show was great. I loved the the toys that made us. It's even the ones that I don't care about, like yeah. My Little Pony, is still really, really interesting. Or the wrestling, or the Ninja Turtles. Like Ninja Turtles, I liked them as a kid, but they were never like my number one thing. Yeah, it was funny with that too, because a lot of that, like, I know a lot about Ninja Turtles, and a lot of that was uh, like, that's kind of how it happened. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, right? It, it's. But then there was other stuff that I, I didn't know, too. I mean, not, not that anything was inaccurate, necessarily. But some of it was like, oh, there's kind of more details there, too. But one of the things that really resonated with me watching it, certain episodes, like the My Little Pony one, is seeing my wife, like, oh, I had this, and I had this. And, like, it's so cool to see that. Like, we're used to, like, you and I could talk about stuff that, um, like, we both get. Because we either share that interest, or at least our interests are close enough that we can get it. But to see somebody else, like, pop for the same types of feelings with something totally different, like, neither of us get My Little Ponies, you know? Like, we don't understand what made that so great. But obviously, it was great because it was successful. And to, like, watch that with my wife and have her, like, literally pause it repeatedly in the episode to talk about stuff was really cool to see that. Like, there's, there's nothing better than that than to see something that, like, gets that height of, of enjoyment and excitement out of somebody, yeah, I mean, like my wife, we've been married for um, almost 13 years now. And to like hit something like that, I've known her for 13 years and I haven't seen her like show that excitement about My Little Ponies. It's really cool. That's one thing that's really cool about those nostalgic things. And, um, you know, like having a, a, a kid, it reminds you to pay attention to those kind of things with your kid. And like, you know, any, any parent that has kids, like they probably do that. But like... It's really, I mean, we talked about earlier, like, parents are like, well, I like Ninja Turtles, so my kid's going to love them. And your kid does, and you're like, well, pff, what's wrong with this kid? Pay attention to what your kid actually likes, and, like, notice them have those same beats that you had from the thing that you loved. And, like, that's what I see with my son with, with Minecraft and, you know, see with some other different things. Like, it's really, really cool to see that. Cool. All right. Well, maybe that's the, the place we wrap on. Yeah, I can talk for I keep on trying to give breaks for you to be like, okay, this has gone on long enough because like I could keep going. <laughs> this has gone on long enough, Paul. <laughs> it's time for this to end. I think it is. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to another 99th episode with me, Sean, and my friend Paul here. You can find me on Twitter at Bad Deacon, and you can find Paul on Twitter at Who's Paul. That's the place where we hang out, and Paul gets angry at people for making generalizations about millennials. And you can come talk to us about your love of 10 men or anything else <laughs> or uh, tune into all our past episodes wherever you found this one. So until next time, adieu.